podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sai, welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, the home of the, our new cricket series, The State of Play. This is episode number four. You can watch uh, the show in video format at youtube.com slash acepodcastnation. Please subscribe and uh, you can download the audio version at all the usual podcasting apps and platforms. We've got many, many series on Ace Podcast Nation from cricket to football, mental health, MMA, uh, boxing, films and TV, much, much more. Mental health, pretty much everything you can think of. Top guests, expert analysts and more. So uh, check out them. All the links are in the description for the social media pages, the YouTube channel, everything which we need to uh, find out what's coming up. And uh, of course, we've got a, a new social media page set up for this show specifically, which is at state of play underscore. And you'll find that on Twitter and Instagram. So uh, joining me to talk a bit of uh, the old cricket. First of all, I have my usual co-host, West Indian batsman, Mr. Kieran Powell. How are you, my friend? I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. I'm like... My green screen is stressing me out immensely because I just got like this fuzzy undertone around my head, which looks a bit weird. But I, I wish I was where either one of you two were because <laughs> it looks miserable as I look outside my window, and I'm assuming it's probably not miserable weather-wise where you two are. But uh, now we're all good. So uh, you're in quarantine currently uh, because of the CPL. A week of spending. Just not leaving your room. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's. I think it's just after four in the morning, and this is the most noise I've heard in a long time with the um, with some birds outside just chirping away. <laughs> I think by the end of the week, it's either it'll be crazy or be um, Buddha. So yeah, we'll see how it works out. So there we go. Look, it's it's, uh, it's nine o'clock. Just gone nine o'clock in the morning for me. It's four o'clock in the morning for you. And uh, joining us. Uh, another top guest from the world of cricket, former England Surrey captain, Queensland assistant coach, Mr. Adam Hollyoke. How's it going, Mr. Hollyoke? How you going, guys? Thanks for having me on. You all right, buddy? So what is it there? Is it quarter past six in the evening for you, is it? Yeah, something like that. Quarter past six in the, in the evening, mate. Uh, end of a long day. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all good. Obviously... Uh, Adam, you were all, you did um, one of my other series, which is my story uh, recently. So I'm going to try not to ask you the same sort of stuff. Try and vary up, so you're not talking about the same same subjects over and over again. Um, but I am going to put you through the magnificent seven again, but it's going to be more purely cricket based. Uh, so it's just the same as before. But quick fire questions. Just uh, say the first thing which comes to mind. So, uh, The Magnificent Seven for Adam Hollyo, part two. Uh, Curtly Ambrose or Malcolm Marshall? Ah, that's so hard. Um, 
I was so scared of Ambrose. But um, I've watched some video clips and I'm going to go Malcolm Marshall. Okay. Uh, Jack, Rush, Jack Russell or Matt Pryor? Jack Russell. He's my boy. He's my, he's my, he was my, um, my roommate. So I've got to go with my roomie. There we go. Uh, Jimmy Anderson or Stuart Broad? Oh, these questions are hard. Um, <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy Anderson, I'm going to go. Uh, greatest English bowler of all time. Oh, it's going to be one of those two, isn't it? That's, that's a trick. That's like a double. You just told me you're not going to double up. That's double <laughs> up. <laughs> um, it's going to be whoever ends up with the most wickets out of those two. That's like tough. Yeah, so uh, I think I'm going to say one, one of those two. Okay. Uh, Favourite grounds to play at? It's got to be home. No place like home. The Oval. Um, you want another one, or you want just my favourite one? No, no, that's fine. That's good. Uh, best room, best roommate. I think you already answered that one, didn't you? No, nah, no, nah, he's just a roommate. He was the worst <laughs> roommate. He, like, <laughs> he set his hat on fire. He, he said he, he set his hat on fire when I room with him. You know that little hat that he used to wear. Yeah. He tried to dry it out in the microwave, and he set it on the oven, and he forgot about it and set it on fire. Jesus. So, um, no, nah, he wasn't a good roommate. <laughs> horrible roommate. Uh, best roommate, Mark Butcher. Played the guitar, funny guy. Um, always keep you entertained. He's really, really doing well with his music at the moment as well. I've seen he's um, released like a couple of singles and stuff. They're all mm. over it. Uh, and finally, the laziest trainer you've ever played with. Jeez, I think that's my brother. My brother, he was a he was he was a horrible trainer. He like lucky he was so good because I was my whole my whole time as captain, sorry, and England was trying to get him to do something because he just he was just natural. He went out and played. Jimmy Ormond, he was lazy too. So those two guys used to hang out together a lot as well, rub yeah. off on one another. Yeah. So like with Ben, do you reckon um, because you were his brother, he was more inclined to kind of not want to train just to annoy you as well? Or do you think they just didn't like training? Nah, he's just lazy. <laughs> he, was just, uh, he was just talented. And I think I think what happened is, and he played for England, like what, how was he, 18 or whatever yeah, it was? Yeah, very young. Uh, so easy. He didn't, he didn't have to do anything um, to get there. So then in the back of his mind was, that was the standard. How I got to, you get to play for your country without actually ever practicing, then... Um, you, from then on, you think you don't have to do it, don't you? So yeah. I was, my whole life was trying to tell him to. That's not always that easy. Things aren't going to be that easy all the time. Hold him. Um, mm. So obviously, you like I mentioned just now, you appeared recently on my story. Um, so I don't want to really repeat too much stuff. So at this point, usually we ask the guests to kind of take us back to the start and their 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 upbringing and stuff. You kind of did that with my story as we went through your career. So, if you could just tell us for the for the cricket listeners, kind of how you got your start into professional cricket, how it came about, and sort of how did you break through into the the seconds and the first team in Surrey? Well, actually, um, there's a guy who was the captain of Surrey. Um, was a guy called Ian Gregg, who not that many people know. He's a good cricketer. He was the brother of Tony Gregg. Okay. But he was the captain of Surrey, and uh, I was mainly a rugby player. Um, 
and played obviously I played cricket as well, but but I loved both sports equally, so I didn't necessarily have a preference for either. And then one day they said that Ian Gregg wanted to come down and see me, and I was like, I didn't even know who he was. Um, then they came and he came down, and um, he started telling me all the stories about sorry, but I knew some of the sorry players. So telling, and then he offered me a contract. But I was only like 16 at the time. I didn't even know what a contract was. Mm-hmm. So um, I was like, okay, I've got to speak to my mum and dad first So um, before I sign. And so, um, yeah, that's sort of how I got my start. I got offered the contract like that. And then um, I was hating studying. So, and I was on five pounds pocket money a week from mum and dad. So it was like... Uh, the option to go and get paid to play cricket or carry on studying, getting paid five pound an hour. Once I actually had it explained to me, I was like, "Yeah, I think I'll do the cricket one." Mm-hmm. So um, that's how I ended up ended up doing that. We we your parents they enthusiastic to for you to you know for you to do it and uh, pursue that? No, not really, because um, they were pretty keen on me getting a good education and. Um, they wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, that was the that's what they mainly wanted me to be. Um, there's only one one problem with that was I didn't have very good grades. So uh, it was like you can't be a doctor or a lawyer if you're failing all your subjects. So uh, um, yeah, they they were always pushing me to carry on studying, go to university, and uh, my heart wasn't in that at all. Cool. Um, so what we like to do now is before we kind of uh, ask you a bit. Of- some questions about your career and stuff is we just talk about some of the the stories of the the last week or so um kieran obviously the west indies and england series wrapped up uh, after a very good first test for the west indians uh, it kind of went wrong uh, progressively through the series what were your kind of overall thoughts of the series and how did you think west indies did overall I don't think that the West Indies necessarily um, planned the cricket too well in that series. Obviously, it, it showed on the field, but um, I think Jason Holder put out something, I think yesterday or the day before, saying that they were mentally fatigued about being in the bubble and what's not. Um, it clearly showed on the field. <laughs> Those are some mentally fatigued decisions in terms of the team selections and what's not. I mean, you knew. Shannon Gabriel, for example, wasn't in the original 15-man squad going to England. He'd just come off of surgery, um, hadn't played cricket for almost a year. Yeah. You can't play three test matches back-to-back in, with just three days rest. I mean, those are simple things. Um, I, don't, I don't think that they necessarily picked a squad that they had confidence in as well. Um, because you'd, you'd question why they'd be so reluctant to make changes. And why would you go to England with three fast bowlers on the bench and one batsman. So obviously you're not expecting any of your batsmen to fail. Um, I think we all know in life and in sport, um, someone's going to fail. So you have to have other options, you know. Um, and I just think that England England planned it better. The West Indies, um, as, as the series went on, England got used to the West Indies batting. The West Indies played, I guess, one brand of cricket right through and England adjusted and it's not about the first punch, but it's about how you adjust and continue to improve from there. So I think England did that and ultimately came out victorious in the series. And special congrats to, um, I think, Stuart Broad, because the way that he came into that 
series after the first test match. We got 16 wickets in, in two tests. Um, that's phenomenal. And to jump all the way up to number three in the world as well. So he really made a statement um, to the England management that it doesn't matter how many resources you have. You don't leave out a girl with, well, now 500 test wickets. He, he has them for a reason. So Yeah, he was angry, wasn't he, about being, uh, being dropped. He was not happy, Bunny. Um, I saw actually something, I think, a couple of days ago where he said that he considered retiring when he had found out he'd been admitted from that first test squad. I'm not sure if, I, uh, if I'm buying that, but he was certainly angry, Adam, and it, uh, it made for two very good performances from Stuart Broad in the second and third test. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm guessing when he said that, he's probably emotional. Um, we all make poor decisions or make poor comments when we're emotional. And he's obviously a proud guy, so he's, um, you know, I'm not just saying this now. Um, I just don't, I don't understand how you could even consider leaving or Jimmy Anderson or Stuart Broad out of a home test series, unless, I mean, fitness issues aside, if they're both fit at this period in time, they've got 1,100 wickets, whatever, between them, yeah. or 1,000 wickets, it's... It's it's hard to replace that, so um, uh, I'm a bit baffled by that decision. I know you've got to be progressive and you've got to look forward, but I think it was Dean Headley, he's one of my close friends from back in the day. Um, he was very vocal about it at the time. He said, you just pick your best players, um, proven players. If you've got a guy who's got five in chess because and he's proven, even if he's out of form, that's better than trying to bring somebody else in because... Three test match series, they'll come good during that series. So, uh, and experience, they'll even if they haven't won well going into that game, they'll find a way because they're just proven wicket takers. So, that was a, that was a really curious decision. And I know, and I know what they're trying. England, they're trying to be progressive. They're saying he's not in form, and they're trying to move forward. But a very uh, odd decision. And then the way he bounced back, um, that's. Um, that's how you do it, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, I like the way he spoke. He, you know, he said he didn't badmouth anybody. He just spoke honestly, and I think you know players are entitled to do that. Um, speak of their disappointment, and um, he spoke honestly, and and then he just bounced back and and let his actions do the talking. So it was almost the perfect reply to what was a poor decision to leave him out. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, I think we'd all rather hear players in interviews give honest opinions than kind of just trot out. If he had come out and just said, you know, oh, yeah, squad rotation, chucked a few cliches in there, you know, I don't, I'm not really interested in that interview. Whereas hearing him honestly say how disappointed he was about being dropped, that's good because it means he's still, you know, he's still bang up for it and he still really cares whether he's starting those test matches. So I'd much rather that. Um, I also think people forget that there's there's a good few years between Jimmy Anderson and, and Stuart Broad in age. I think sometimes they kind of get lumped in together as being, you know, oh, they're coming to the end of their career. But Stuart Broad is, I think, three years younger, maybe two years younger than, than Jimmy Anderson. Um, Kieran, do you think, like, I, I can understand England wanting to start blooding some other pace bowlers, you know, that you've got, you have got to look to the future. Jimmy Anderson's had some fitness issues. 
So they have to think about when he's not going to be able to play. They have to think about if he can play every single game. Um, is he just more suited to you know to bowling in the home series or whatnot? But there's still a few years left in Stuart Broad, do you think? I think, yeah, because they're, they're such a strong peer, people obviously think that they have to be around the same age. Um, having said that, Stuart Broad has got a lot of miles on his legs for a fastball. He has played 140-something test matches, but he seems, to be, he seems to be relatively fit and obviously he's very motivated. Um, we've seen, well, when, once you put him under pressure, what he does... I think for me, though, the more baffling thing about it all is that he was a leading wicket-taker in the two previous series that he played for England as well. So um, he didn't show any signs of lack of form or anything. It was just um, a strange call from the England management altogether. But I think that Anderson and Broad, as a pair, they should be playing. I mean, you don't get 1,100 wickets between you. And it's, it's just the pressure that they create as a pair because they know how to bowl together. Um, obviously, as they said, they're trying to blood other people and contingency plans for when they retire. Um, but they're not going to retire at the same time. And, and guys will learn from watching them. Guys will learn from playing the odd test match with them. Um, one's going to retire before the other. So you'll have ample opportunity to continue to to blood new players. And you do have guys with experience. You know, Chris Wilkes now has 30-something test matches. Um, Jeffrey Archers, the Mark Woods, the Sam Currens, they're all playing here and there. So they're all learning and they're all in the same group of fast bowlers. So I think maybe they have too many resources at the moment and they're just trying to utilize all of them as opposed to just letting nature take its course. Yeah, 100%. Um, Adam, you mentioned just now about, you know, about picking your best team. Um, and obviously, Kieran, we've spoken on previous episodes about the West Indian selectors maybe not picking the the best squad available to them, including yourself. Um, who's kind of stood out for you and who may be looking over their shoulder from both sides of during the test series? Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's, it's sort of the same. Obviously, Stuart Broad would be... Um, Pretty happy with his performance. 16 weeks in, in the two test matches in the last two tests. So, um, you know, that's a fantastic performance. Ben Stokes was um, was good throughout the series again. Um, I love. I, I really like Ollie Pope. Um, young guys come in and he's. I think he averages 60 in first class cricket, um, and he's got a 90 in that um, in that last test match. So, I really like to see him get an extended run in the side. Um, and it's a, it's a funny because the England batting lineup that they, I have to give it to the selectors. They've tried to give guys a good shot at it. It's not like yeah. back in um, the nineties where it's one test. If you don't get any runs and you're out, the, they've given these guys, you know, good, giving them a good chance to to have a go at it. So I'm happy with the fact that they're, they're not just chopping and changing after each test, but. Off the bat, I think they've got big things planned for Ollie Pope. Um, Rory Burns looks like he's cementing him, himself at the top of the order there. Obviously, they've got world-class players in Joe Root and Ben Stokes. So, 
Uh, six months in international cricket is a is a long time, and I, I can see this um, English bang lineup starting to take shape. Albeit, you do look at it and think, you know, but it's only a couple of spots that are up for grabs, really. So um, that that's starting to take shape, and like um, Kieran mentioned before, the bowling, the depth of their bowling is, um, it's you know, it's probably one of the better countries in the world for depth of quick bowling. I mean, we haven't even mentioned Ben Stokes's bowling, but yeah. um, you know, we we you know Stuart Broad, James Anderson, Wokes, Wood, and then you chuck in uh, Ben Stokes. Um, he's actually one of the the hardest guys out of all of them to to face. So. Um, I, I'm, I coach Marnus Labashane out here, and he's the bowler that he always talks about being difficult because he's he swings the ball from away from over the top of his head, which makes him quite hard to line up, um, according to Marnus. So, and he he gets a lot of important wickets as well. So, England side really um, starting to take shape without being a well-oiled unit. I think it's, it's sort of like that England side that started to build up leading into that 2005 side. I felt like yeah. the momentum was building towards um, a quite a good unit. Yeah, we had um, on the last episode, we had Simon Jones on um, talking about that series and the, the kind of momentum shift coming into the series and then the first test and the way the England squad kind of grew in confidence and the Aussie squad maybe suddenly realised that it wasn't going to be quite as easy as what they'd maybe become accustomed to. Um, and I think, I think even the England batting lineup is, is pretty deep. Like you mentioned that maybe there's one or two places up for grabs, but those places could easily be shored up by the people in them at the moment. Like, like mm. Josh Butler gets a lot of criticism because he tends to either fail or get runs. There's no in between. But I think that's a lot down to the way he plays. But that's also the way that everybody wants him to play. Because whenever he does try and adapt his game to play a more traditional test cricket style, people moan that he's not playing his natural game and they want to see him you know, be, be aggressive. And for me, I've always said I think he should be uh, what Adam Gilchrist was for Australia. You want him coming in at six or seven and either... You know, he can change a game in 45 minutes and take the game completely away from the opposition. Um, just, uh, Kieran, before we move on to the to Ben Stokes uh, bowling, I was wondering who stood out for you and kind of who do you think maybe is looking over their shoulder on the West Indian side of things? <laughs> well, I think that most of the batsmen are looking over their shoulder at the moment. <laughs> Obviously, we, we got progressively... Worse as the series went on, I think that um, they take solace in probably Shamar Brooks and Jermaine Blackwood. Yeah, probably a few half centuries between them. Um, Craig Bathwaite getting a few scores as well, but everyone else um, pretty much had a very dismal tour. Um, the bowlers, I think, the bowlers have been doing a fantastic job for the past few years, actually. Um, I think all three of the main fast bowlers that the West Indies use are in the top 20 in the world. So I think that says it all for, for what type of unit the West Indies have put together quietly. Um, I think that obviously they need to play Alzari Joseph a bit more and give him a defined role. I think that he didn't have really a clear role in that series. Um, and also I think they just tried to cram 
Raheem Cornwall into the last test match without again having having any specific plan of to how they're going to use him. Because if you're going to drop a seaman per spinner, I don't think that you should be opting to bowl first after having won the toss. You know, you want to bring the spinner into play. So, yeah. just I guess more so than anything, the the tactical decisions that the West Indies makes um, need to need to be improved. Yeah, I think um, actually that's the one thing England lack as well is a is a top class top class spinner. Um, there's a couple of young guys on the county circuit, but they seem reluctant to to blood them. They kind of stick with the tried and tested, you know, your Jack Leeches or your your Dominic Bess, people who they trust to be quite economical. Um, like as a fan, I'd be I'd like to see them give maybe some. But I know there's a couple of young. Uh, leg spinners doing pretty well on the county scene, but I think they got their fingers burnt with um, Adil Rashid being quite expensive for the test side. Um, and I think historically, Adam, I don't know if you'd agree, but whenever England have brought in a leg spinner, they do tend to be quite expensive. For like Ian Salisbury came in all them years ago, and he was quite expensive, even though he you know, he had his moments. Do you think? That's like a kind of cultural thing, or do you just think? And the, you know, the pitches are not necessarily great for leg spinners on the county scene, or do you think it's just England haven't got that top quality leg spinner out there? Well, I think I think I, I honestly think it comes back to the balls that we use. Um, um, we use uh, Duke balls in England. Um, they're, they're not that easy to bowl leg spin where they're a lot harder. Um, they travel off the bat a lot better, and uh, I know the leg spinners prefer the um, bar It's a bit softer, seems not quite as big, um, so it feels better in their hands. That's why I think Australia produced so many leg spinners. And um, the conditions in England, they really do suit that that bowlers who run up and bowl one thirty-five. You know, you know between 130 and 145 and there's no, no need to run in and bowl as fast as you can and just get the ball in the right area and let the ball do the rest. Um, we all evolve to our conditions, you know what I mean? So you come out to Australia and if you run up and bowl 130 on a good line of length with a kookaburra ball, you're going to be fielding for a long, you're going to be fielding for a long time. You've got to try and yeah. do something. So, um I really like what they're doing out here in Australia. I really like, um, it's a new thing that came out a couple of years ago. And I think I, I, I would say that's one of the reasons why Australia was successful in England last year. But they, they play the second half of the season with a Duke ball, which yeah. I think is a really progressive way of thinking because, I don't know, is it since 2005? It's been going back and forward, you know, Australia win in Australia and then they go to England and they get beaten in England so um, they don't play the spinning spinning ball very well a uh, swinging ball very well um, so I think that that was a really good move but coming back to your question about spin uh, we just we cricketers we evolved to our um, our conditions I know um, Jermaine will like back me up on this uh, back out in the West Indies like their wickets are really tired and um, it's not necessarily conducive to guys wanting to run up and bowl fast. And I think that's probably why we haven't quite seen that amazing period of West Indian cricket that 
uh, when they dominated for 20 years in, between in the 70s, 80s and 90s. Um, so we, we cricketers, we, we do evolve to our conditions. Um, this, uh, and I'm, I'm not really providing any answers here. I'm just mm. providing an, an excuse. But um, I think that's one of the reasons why leg spinners aren't given aren't given the chance to to perform in England. Um, so if you've got some county bowlers and run up a ball one thirty and bowl the ball in the air and do it do a bit with it, they're bowling tight and they're giving you a chance uh, of getting wickets. But then when your leggy comes on, it's harder to hold the ball. And if they don't get it right, then they're off. They're yeah. off. So we bring out another 130 bowler who bowls just puts it in the area. Um, whereas in Australia, you've either got someone who has to run up and bowl 140 plus um, or bowl wrist spin. Otherwise, you're going to be feeling all day in the heat. So you've got to, you're encouraged to try and do that. So um, that, that's, that's the reason why I think we don't have great. Um, finger spinners and off the back of that if you do play a spinner you're saying I want that spinner to perform within the unit of the team that you've picked so if you've got three or four seamers you don't necessarily want a guy who's going to run up and you know get a couple out but go for four or five and over you just want a guy who can keep it tight yeah so you'd give those guys a little bit of a break so it's a very different role uh, and I think all those things combined add up to why they probably go back to your um, Dominic Besses or your um, Jack Leach, yeah. Jack Leach, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why I think they they um, go back to those guys. It's just safe and and it fits into the unit rather than, you know, Jack Leach and Don Best. You know, they're not going to be chasing down Merylithran or Warren's wicket-taking no. uh, record, but they're they're going to provide good respite, good period of rest for the quick bowlers who are the dangers in England to 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 get some rest and come back and and, and do the damage. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that hundred um, percent. Okay, so Kieran, the England Pakistan uh, Test series starts uh, when is it on the fifth? So tomorrow. Um, what are you expecting from that series? Do you think it's uh, going to be quite a close series or do you expect one side to prevail? Uh, I think this is going to be an interesting series. Um, Pakistan has always produced good fast bowlers over the years. Um, and I think they've got a good bunch there again. Uh, I think the deciding factor is again going to be down to the batting of both teams. Um, I think Pakistan senior players like Azhar Ali, uh, Baba Azam, who's very exciting to watch, um, Asad Shafiq, those guys will have to play a big role in, in any success, I guess, that Pakistan will have. Um, obviously, Ben Stokes will have to dust off that Superman cape that he found mm. a few years ago from somewhere and continue to be uh, England's best batsman at the moment. I, I do like the change that England made in the last match that I, because I do think that Jaru should stay at number three yeah. and Ben Stokes at number four. I think it gives England a better platform, you know, as opposed to having people like Zach Crowley um, batting at number three. I think you want those guys coming in and meeting an established player 
at the crease, a senior player that's already set, um, already dictating the pace of the game. Um, obviously, I know it's something that Ben, um, sorry, um, that Jarut has alluded to that he doesn't necessarily like batting at number three. But I think for this England team to really go forward, he has to put his hand up and say, okay, this is the time um, for him to take that opportunity. Obviously, he's going to have a few more failures as the ball is going to do a bit more. But the rewards are going to be a lot bigger for him as a person and as a team if he could pull it off batting at number three um, and allow Ben Stokes to bat at number four. And I think Oli Pope, as Adam had said, he, he obviously looks like a, a good young player, um, gets lots of runs in county cricket, and he's looked, he's looked the part in test cricket so far. Um, so I think that that's a good batting lineup, and then just unleash Josh Butler. You can't, I mean, you can't like it when he gets off, but then ridicule him when he gets out. You know, it's it's either you like it or you don't like it. Yeah. That's why everyone loved Randy Sewak because he was literally just <laughs> a shot of ball. And some days he'd get out for five, another day he'd make two hundred and ninety in one day in test cricket. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it is what it is. You have to love it all the way or the Not thing like is, it at all. I think it. you want Josh Butler coming in when you're kind of 400 for six or whatever, 400 for five, so he can just come in and play his usual game. You don't want him coming in at 180 for five, 180 for six, where he's got to try and save the innings because he can't play his natural game then. I think you actually want him at 180 for five. I think that's the reason why he should be in the team because then he could play a counter-attacking innings, take the momentum back from the opposition, get mm. you up to a 350 when you're looking at a 230 and really bring that confidence back to the team. I think that's how they should look at it. You know, just allow him to go out and play. Obviously, he's going to fail. We all fail anyway, so just let him be free. There's no point in having Joss Butler just coming out trying to save face and, and block in when he could get a quick 80, yeah. 120. And change the course of a game. Yeah, and I suppose that could be quite demoralising yeah. for the other team as well, and if they think they're kind of getting through the England batting lineup, and then Josh Josh Butler comes in and scores a quick hundred or whatever, it can take the game away from them. Um, Adam, it looks like uh, well, Ben Ben Stokes has been bowling again uh, in the nets after having a, a couple of games of no bowling, which means Zach Crawley will probably come back into the lineup. Um, is Stokes, you mentioned Stokes bowling earlier. Do you think he's vital to England's bowling attack in terms of balance? And, and that extra, he's very much the, their strike bowler and the, their go-to bowler when they need, need something to happen. He's their, their strike cricketer when they need something <laughs> to happen. He's, whether it's the bat or the ball or in the field, he's always, um, he seems to be amongst it. But, um He's he's just what I like is is he's in an era where hey I'm not trying to do myself out of a job here I'm a cricket coach but we we are guilty of overcoaching um, people um, what players young players these days and uh, sort of our our responsibility and our job to try and allow natural talent to flourish um, we we we're often guilty of um, trying to cookie cut and make everybody play the same. I remember I was asked, um, it would have been 15 years ago by David Gilbert, who was an old uh, coach of mine at Surrey, to have a look at the New South Wales bowlers. Um, they all 
had the same load, same load up as Brett Lee. Um, but they they all had a, they were the similar sort of height, all about the same height. They even had the same haircut. Mm -hmm. It was like I was like after about half an hour, I said to him, "Mate, I can't help you." He said, "Was I said I can't even know which one's which. They've all got the same action." <laughs> I said, "They're beautiful bowlers." I said, "But if you get in against these guys, they're all the same. They're all the, all the same." So what I like about Ben Stokes and the England bowling attack is that you got Anderson, um, you know, swinging the ball both ways. You got Broad hitting the wicket and wobble seaming, um, and then you got um, Stokes coming over the top of his head, but still swinging it out from there. It's very hard to line up. So I think that attack, albeit they're all right arm seamers, they're three very different propositions to to play against. So um, uh, he just is that a little bit different. And like I mentioned before, Manas, all he talks about is Stokesy mm. and how he finds him hard to line up. So. Um, I think he's a, and also obviously quite a, quite a good batsman, isn't he? And yeah, uh, quite a good fielder. So uh, you, it's nice to have your all rounder as someone who's just a bit different from your from the rest. It sort of takes us back to our Ian Botham's, you know, back in back in the day. It was just that little bit different, that little bit of X factor, and um, I think he's crucial to the attack. Yeah, I think he's all around crucial to the team. Um, here, and Jonathan Trott was named uh, as a batting consultant for England for the Pakistan series. Um, what do you think of that decision? Um, and what sort of things will a batting consultant offer? That's what I would like to know. Um, I think Trott's main strength was his his focus i guess uh, i guess this young test team they've been doing a lot of talking about um getting back to traditional test cricket i think that's what we've seen sibley and burns being reintroduced into um test cricket as opposed to more attacking type openers um so i think i think he really helped in the way that they approach the game mentally um what use is batting coaches or batting consultants <laughs> As Adam said, I mean, it could be good for someone who likes to be overcoached. Um, for a player that likes to figure it out, it's just, I guess, a sounding board, most than anything. Um, ultimately, all players need at this level is just a little bit of air in the tyres and hitting enough balls to make them feel as though that they've prepared well enough. Um, that's what international cricket is about, just making players feel good and preparing them as well as they could and then allowing them to go out and express themselves. Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, you, I think uh, on, so I if I can interfere there, just, um, inter well, interrupt rather than interfere, hopefully, <laughs> um, is it's, it's, it's interesting that um, um, we, all, we all watch Hollywood movies and um, we have this view of the coach as someone who's going to come in and say some Churchillian type speech, which is going to all of a sudden take a guy from being a club cricketer into the best batsman in the world. That's the movies. That's not reality. And, and, and what Kieran's saying is absolutely right. Uh, I think it's about volume for the batsman, getting enough balls, feeling good about themselves and a sounding board to someone they can bounce some ideas off. And, and one thing which I think people forget, and this is something which I have to remind myself of, um, when I'm coaching is cricketers, uh, cricketers are better these days than they were 
10 years ago and then they're better 10 years ago than they were 10 years before. Let's keep getting better. Um, so if I'm coaching a Manus Labashain or a Joe Burns or uh, any, any current player now, they're better than I was. Um, so it's very important that the coach remembers it's a collaboration and we're not sitting here telling someone how to play the game because the yeah. fact is they're bigger, faster, stronger now than um, with better techniques, better bats, everything's better. Um, I, I can't be Usain Bolt's um, running the, the 100 metres a second faster than Jesse Owens did back, um, you know, Jesse Owens was the greatest runner in the world back in 1952. Everything's got faster except for cricket's the only thing which has got worse, apparently. So um, it's, a, it's, we are, as coaches, we've got to collaborate with the player and act as a sounding board and they'll try and allow the player to solve the problem himself because he's out there and he's, they're capable of doing that. So um, I think that, uh, Jonathan Trotsky is a wonderful player and, and everything like that, but um, I think that's, it's more fitting in into the group than it is coming in and he's not going to be able to say some magic sentence which is going to turn Dominic Sibley from Dominic Sibley into Dominic Bradman. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, uh, that's, that's just, that's my, what I've got to say on that. Yeah, John, uh, look, Jonathan Trott was a exceptional batsman. His, uh, his ability to concentrate for, for long periods was right up there with the, the best batsman, you know, at the time. Um, if he can, you know, if, if that, that sort of long-term thinking in terms of building an innings can rub off, particularly on the you know the likes of Dominic Sibley and and Bob and Burns. I think that can only be a good thing. Um, I thought actually Sibley and Burns did very well in this West Indian Test series. I thought they um, they looked settled and they looked like they felt comfortable opening the batting for England, um, which is a good thing. Um, just before we move on, and I'm going to ask you both a few questions, ask Adam some questions about his career to finish off. Um, I wanted to ask you about the, the Irish games, the one-day games uh, between Ireland. Uh, Ireland have obviously come a, you know, a real long way uh, in the last few years compared to where they were. They Obviously, they started playing you know, test cricket and, and the like. Um, they're not, I still think they're not quite there in terms of competing with the very top sides. I think there was enough there to be encouraged by that, you know, I think, how can I say it without sounding like a oh, dick? Um, like, I think there's enough there watching Ireland that, you know, they, you can see that they're building something. They're, they're getting better all the time in all aspects. They're bowling the field in the batting, but they're just, they're not quite there with the very, very top teams. And when you consider that, you know, there's a lot of English players missing from this squad because, They've had to separate the two teams completely because of the uh, COVID. Um, uh, Kieran, what do you feel about like how Ireland are progressing as a as a cricketing nation? Yeah, well, it's always it's always going to be difficult. Um, I mean, they've been playing cricket, but you know, just being a full member international team brings its own challenges. Um, obviously, they've got to develop infrastructure. They've got to develop talent pools and these things take time, you know. Um, obviously, you look at places like Sri Lanka that came in and won the 96 World Cup. Um, you look at, I guess, more recent countries like Afghanistan and how they're progressing. Um, 
it's it's just down to I guess well anywhere in Asia they're gonna have more people um, so they're gonna have access to faster development because we know how cricket mad they are out there um, but I think Ireland just has to I guess develop their own infrastructure because you know you can't necessarily depend on on the British system anymore of of bringing through players through county systems and what's not um, so I mean they, they've always been a hard-working team. It's never been a team that's going to blow you away in terms of its talent. But I think over time, they'll they'll get to a point where they'll be satisfied and they'll be competitive. Yeah, I mean, obviously, previously, every time Ireland had a particularly good player, uh, England would uh, borrow him, should we say. Uh, so, you know, that's happened a few times over the years. Well, I think England's famous for borrowing players from a few countries. Well, yeah, <laughs> hey, 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 come on. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what do you think, Adam, about, you know, just about how Ireland are progressing? You know, there's a clear improvement from a few years ago where they were just getting, you know, if you had done a, a one-day game between England and Ireland, you know, five years ago, it would have been bordering on, not embarrassing, but it would have been very one-sided. I don't know. It's, um, yeah, it, you're right. They're, they're, um, they've come on a long way and, and they have got a long way to go. But um, we actually went up and played them in my last year of, um, of professional cricket, 2004. Not even sure Kieran was born then, but it was, um, <laughs> it was, um, it was, we went up there and it was back in the days when you were told, um, you know, they, they, we, we were all out drinking. So um, we were just told, the one thing we were told before we went there was just don't go out drinking with the Irish. Um, mm -hmm. Just because they'll drink you. And the West Indies went there in 1966 and they got bowled out for, for 32. So it was, uh, I think they had um, Garfield Sobers and the, the three W's all went out and enjoyed Irish hospitality and... Um, and yeah, got bowled out for 30 and lost. So we were told the same thing. Just when you go there, you just don't socialise with them because they're, they're too good at it. And we didn't take the coach's advice and, and we got beaten as well. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, but I mean, obviously, these guys are far more professional now and they're not going to fall for that sort of sort of behaviour. But uh, yeah, they're, it's funny, isn't it? Like... You go along as a one of these minnows, like Kieran, like really um, mentioning Sri Lanka. There was like really um, probably the side that springs to mind because they they weren't in the in the world set up for that long before they won that World Cup. I don't know how long was it ten, fifteen. I don't know. It wasn't that long. So, um, but um, I think all it takes is one or two great players. If you've got um, you know, test cricketers, there's a lot of players that fall into that bracket of being very similar. Um, so we'll look back to my era. There was, you know, probably you know, 60, 70 cricketers going around. A lot of us are very similar. But then you had your Warren, your Muralitherans, your McGrath, Ambrose Walsh. He wasn't even whack-ass. He had like 10 guys who stood out as bowlers. And then probably the same thing with bowl. And the rest were very similar. So... I just think that if Ireland can find one or two big players um, or they, they develop um, and then they get a mastery of their own conditions, then, then they can start making progress. But uh, it's going to be hard. Kieran makes a really good point that they don't have the, 
the volume of people that they do in Asia. Um, you know, like I went, I was out in Afghanistan three or four years ago for the Afghan Premier League, and that's my next I question. Was, Literally, I was going to ask you about that your your trip to Afghanistan. Yeah, uh, and 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 you go there, and you go. These guys will be in the top five in the world within twenty years because they're mad about it. They don't have other sports. They don't have rugby. Um, they don't. They, so they play cricket. That's what they play. And they're big, athletic guys as well. The Afghans, you know what I mean. So um, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. They've got a lot of things. Ireland, I don't know if they, they they've got a lot of other sports they play, haven't they? They play soccer. Yeah, they, sure. um, you know, they've got Gaelic football. Like, What's that game they play with this with the stick? Hurling. Um, is it hurling? Hurling, hurling. They've got they're, they're drinking games. They've got all sorts of games they have to compete with. So I think it's going to be harder for them. But they can find one or two world class bowlers, then they can start building a side that can start becoming more challenging. But it's going to be hard for them. Yeah, and I think and, so. and Af- Afghanistan. Wow, what a place. Um, uh, yeah, I went there. Um, we were we were promised security, uh, and the thing which got me there was the passion of the people. Um, you could feel that they want cricket there so badly, and I was speaking to a lot of their board members and people high up in in their in their um, in their in their in their game, and uh, you could feel that enthusiasm coming through. And they and they guaranteed me safety. Um, the security I had out there was outstanding. Um, but they did try and kill me. They tried to blow. Yeah. A bomb went off, and the nine of our security guards were killed. And um, it was it was scary. Um, but there, um, this the passion for the game, which um, really stood out for me, and the fact they're big, athletic guys. So I think they can be a real danger in world cricket. In a in a short period of time, I can I can honestly see them being very successful. They've come um, a real real lo- uh, long way already, really quickly, haven't they? When you think uh, since they've sort of joined the cricketing world, and then they've already now are competing. So you like you say, you know, a few more years, you'd expect them to be right up there. Um, just on that, where you obviously you went out there in two thousand and seventeen, was it a T T twenty tournament, wasn't it? That's correct, yeah, T20. And then um, yeah. there was a, a suicide bombing where people obviously were sadly killed. Was um, You chose to stay out there following that. Was that a difficult decision for you to, you know, to choose to stay out there? Because I, I know some people came home. Yeah, it was a difficult decision. Um, I was taken aback by the passion. And I could see in their eyes... Um, when I spoke to them, that they were these people were devastated. They got worked so hard to get us out there, uh, and they and they guaranteed me safety. Um, now the bomb went off, but they kept the, they they did their job. Security kept the, they, there was three layers of security which this bomb I had to get through, and they got him at the at the first um, checkpoint. Yeah, okay. Um, it was scary. I mean, literally, the bomb went off, and I could feel the vibrations through my body. And stuff. So it was—it was, it was a, probably one of the scariest moments of my life. But um, they then promised that they would up the security and keep people back two kilometres from the ground, um, and they kept their word with everything else they did. So um, I was happy. And like, I mean, my my dad, um, when I was young, he said to me. Uh, 
always stay till the job's done. Mm. So that was one time where I wanted to, I did want to go against his advice and just go home. Um, yeah. But um, once I was satisfied that we were going to be looked after, then um, I decided I would stay and get that job done. We, were, you, were you close to going, do you think? Or were you kind of... Yeah, of course. Uh, if, if you'd ask, the bomb went off at like, I'm going to say five o'clock at night, around that sort of rest, sort of getting towards dusk. And um, there was a flight out of there at 10 p.m. that night. And a lot of people were on that flight. Um, if, if I'd made a decision that night, I would have been on that flight because I was scared and I was, I was emotional. So, yeah. uh, but I said to myself, no, I'll sleep overnight. I'll hear what they've got to say. I'll think about it. We were safe in the hotel. So I did, there was no urgency for a decision. It was just, the urgency was to we'll go back to the ground. Cool. So, um, I thought about it overnight and spoke to my father and a few other people who I respect and, um, and I, um, and that was the decision I came to. But yeah, I was, I was definitely close to going home. For sure. Um, Adam, are you all right for another sort of five or ten minutes? Just to ask you a couple yeah. of questions. Yeah, are you cool? Um, yeah, sure. Because there's one story which I think if I didn't ask you about it, everyone would be very upset. It's, it's vital to the, you know, people's cricketing knowledge. Um, is it true that you were robbed by a granny over Gumtree? <laughs> it's, it's true. I can see Kieran laugh. Don't start judging me just because you're over here in the West Indies, mate. I know you guys are all gangsters over there, but it's it's, it's embarrassing, but it's true. <laughs> it was, I was I was moving house, and I had a whole bunch of um, items in my house that um, I needed to get rid of. So I, I advertised them on Gumtree, and this. This lady, little old lady came around and she seemed so sweet and so innocent. And she came around and she was looking at this, I had this cabinet and um, it was, it wasn't much. It was $50, $100 coming, but not a lot of money. But she said to me, oh, could you give us a hand taking it to my car? So I said, of course, you know, so I carried it out there and I laid her seats down and I put a towel down, made sure it was all nice and, you know, so it didn't scratch her car. I put the cabinet in and she said, Oh, I love. I'm just going to go into the car and um, get some cash out of the out of the um, out of the the glove box, <laughs> and then I'm standing there at the back and waiting. And then I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder why she's starting the car up to get the money. <laughs> and the next day, she started driving. I thought, oh, she must be going to turn the car around. She just drove Go off. She drove off. So, so the thing is, Madness. you know, you'd be thinking. Well, you'd be thinking, you'd be thinking, I'd be angry, wouldn't you? You'd be thinking yeah. that, what emotion? Angry, um, like frustrated, whatever. I was, I was just standing there. I was like looking around. I was embarrassed because all my neighbours were there. I was, <laughs> I was just embarrassed. I said, did they see that? I've just been rubbed. I've been rolled by a 90-year-old lady. <laughs> Jeez. My, my gangster status gone straight away. Yeah. Can't, can't, trust, can't trust anyone. Can't trust anyone. Not even, not even the grannies. No, no, even the grannies. They're even out for me, mate. They're out for me. Excellent. <laughs> this, um, where, where did this happen? In, in the UK? No, in my house in Australia. It's like, oh, it's, I lived in like a really nice house. It was like, just, she just came and robbed me at my own house. Like, so mean. She was so mean. She's like, oh. I'd help the carrier to the car. She's like the meanest granny in the world. Take some guts though, don't I, to go to someone's house, get them to load up your car, and then just drive off. 
<laughs> no shame. I helped. I helped her steal. I helped her steal from me. It was like it's embarrassing. <laughs> I was like, I love that. That's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> so, and then that hasn't helped people like yourself. Every time I go, people bring it up. I'm gonna relive it. I'm gonna relive it every time. <laughs> Just distressing and all over again. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I've asked Kieran this a couple of times. I'm going to ask you, uh, Adam, what's um, some of the worst or funniest sledges that you have given or been on the end of? Oh, funnily enough, um, I'll go back to go back to that Irish game. Um, I think the best sledge that I've ever had was um, was from an, one of the Irish players. We we got I think we got about two hundred and twenty in that game, and it got to the point where they were about two hundred for five, and with plenty of overs left. But Sackley Mushtak was bowling, and there was this little window. In any game, there's a window where you think if we could just get you know, a couple of wickets here, we could put them under a lot of pressure. So. Um, this guy came out the bat, a little Irish guy. I think he, he, he was he hadn't played many games and he looked really, he looked nervous. Um, we came out and there wasn't a big crowd there. It was 5,000 people or what have you. But um, I was feeling in close. So I decided I was going to start trying to rattle him. So he came out and, you know, when you're trying to sledge someone, you start talking to them. And if they answer back, you're like, yeah, I've got him here. He's, mm -hmm. he's talking back. So I asked him, I said, hey, how many games have you played for Ireland? He said, oh, played 20 so um, I said oh how many games have you won for your country and he said oh not many and I said big crowd in today 5,000 mm. I said there'll be another million people watching on TV and um, so I was all the while I was trying to build situation up to try and put a bit of pressure on it and um, I said you wouldn't want to choke out here in front of all those people on TV he says I don't care I get heaps of shags <laughs> <laughs> so he totally diffused me and you yeah. know someone's got you good when your own team's laughing at you then, yeah you know, I was like okay I had, I had to unpack that yeah he got me there <laughs> excellent I like that what um, okay Kieran when what's the uh, the most angriest you've ever been on the cricket field ooh <laughs> I'm probably captain in any team. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Bowlers and, and fielders just make you upset. I think just being captain on its own just gives you a different type of range. It just makes you, it just makes you angry for no reason. <laughs> it does. It's like, we're going to die young, mate. We're going to die young because of it. <laughs> yeah. The stress. So stressful. Yeah. What about you, uh, Adam? When, was, is there like a, a particular match or something which springs to mind when you were just the most angriest you've been on the field? Actually, I, I've just remembered one. It's It's a little bit embarrassing, but um, I, I talk about it. I, I don't know if you, you remember my coach, Keith Medlicott. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was coaching for seven years. He used to play for a club called Sutton, and um, I used to play for a club called Send. And um, it's in, in the Surrey League, so it was amateur cricket and it wasn't a particularly high standard. Anyway, my club played against his club and, and we had a lot of um, aggro in that game, but I wasn't bowling. Um, so I said, to, uh, I said to those guys, hey, 
I'm going to come back next year when I'm bowling. You're going to know about it. So I anyway, that game came around and there was a big build up to it. We knew there was going to be um, competition. I would have been 17, 18, I don't know, 16, 17, 18 around there. I was young. Back then, I wasn't particularly nice. I was pretty competitive and um, easy, very, um, you know, I used to lose my temper very easily. So I came into bowl and, um, and it was wet. It was wet. So I was trying to bowl as fast as I could. And my foot kept slipping and I kept on bowling at shore and the batsman kept hitting it for, like, for four. <laughs> and there's no crowd watching. The only people watching were the, the opposition. So yeah. they start, hey! so they're clapping and they're winding me up more and more and more. And the more they're winding me up, the more angry I got, the faster I tried to bowl, the more I slipped and the further they kept hitting it. So it just went on and on and on until eventually I... I was completely out of my mind. So I, I bowled my last ball of the over and the, um, I said, give me the ball, give me the ball. So that my captain and player, they knew at that stage I had a really bad temper. So they're like, no, why, what are you going to do? Just give me the ball. So eventually they gave me the ball. So I started walking straight towards the opposition, um, where all the opposition which were sitting and... Um, so as I got closer, I was thinking I was just going to throw the ball into <laughs> into where they were sitting, but thankfully I didn't do that. I um, I started shouting at them, "Come down! You got so big. Why don't you come down here and say something?" So one of the guys said, "Who me?" So I said, "No, all of you come down." <laughs> so I got so angry that all of a sudden I thought I was Superman. I was going to be able to fight the whole team. Anyway, my Keith Medlicott was the um, playing in the, in the opposition side. He was the coach, and so so he came out, and thankfully he was there because he was the only person I reckon that would have been able to calm me down. He said, "Come on, mate, you completely lost it here. You need to just <laughs> get back out there and like and, and behave yourself, and you don't want to throw your career away on this." So um, thankfully he calmed me down. But I was I was wanting to go fight the whole opposition. Jesus. It was embarrassing. Where was that? Where was that anger when the? Where was that anger when the granny stole the stuff from me? Where was it when I needed it? I was just, yeah. I was like, I was like a little pussycat. I just sat there and went, just let it rob you. Take my stuff. Let it drive off. Do you want this as well? Yeah, I take this as well. Yeah, let's go back and get some more stuff. <laughs> oh, hang on. I got my card. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, last couple then. He's uh, an interesting one then. Who is the best wicketkeeper of all time and why? Kieran, you go first. Wicketkeeper, that, that's, that's an interesting one because you've got batsmen that are keepers and you've got pure, genuine wicketkeepers. So which one are you looking for? I just want your opinion of who you think is... If you had to pick an all-time eleven. To play against Adams all time eleven, who was going to be your wicketkeeper? Uh, I'd probably be unfair and pick Kumar Sangakkara or Ab De Villiers. Mm, good shout. What about you, Adam? Who's getting into your all time eleven? as your wicketkeeper? Oh, I'm going to get the traditionalists are going to hate me because they're going to say that I should pick Alan Knott or Jack Russell, but. I'm going to go with Adam Gilchrist. I, um, I like uh, 
uh, a guy who can bat, and I like my wicketkeeper to be able to bat as well. So uh, Adam Gilchrist was but, an incredible wicketkeeper as well. People forget that yeah. he was real yeah. good. Oh, yeah, he was a good wicketkeeper, yeah. Uh, but um, you know, Sangakara, I mean, he can't get picked twice. So I probably would have had him first <laughs> as well. But he's like, I'm probably playing against him by the <laughs> <laughs> No, I think he um, got in there first. He's they like were the my running, choices. Sangakara and. <laughs> And um, who is the best fielder of all time? Uh, Adam, you go first for this one. Oh, I'm gonna sound. I'm gonna sound like such an old like. I'll go with mine then uh, first. While you quickly have a think, I would go with Mark Rampercash or Jonty Rhodes. They would be my two. Mark Rampercash. Yeah, Mark he was Rampercash. incredible. Incredible fielder. Are you kidding? Incredible feeling. Maybe not of all time. That's the worst. That's the worst selection I've ever heard. You should, you're probably one of the selectors that left Stuart Broad out of the first. Day yeah. Of the <laughs> I mean, big mates for Duncan that's a Fletcher. Terrible right? selection. Like, Ramps is one of my close mates, and I played with him for a while, and he's a good fielder. But John T. Rhodes, you can't put him in there ahead of John T. Rhodes. Yeah. Ridiculous. I told you before. I got. I got a. Like a, a bit of a fanboy for Mark Rampakash. I just like probably. It's not a it's... dancing competition, mate. <laughs> no, John T. Rhodes, probably for me. He is the. Um... Yeah, I, I, I was. I would say John T. Rhodes. Mate. Well, you key. You got. Oh, just because you've both gone John T. Rhodes, I think I'll go. Herschel Gibbs, A.B. De Villiers. So what's interesting would be like, would you have gone John T. Rhodes? Because I'm wondering, like the modern day player, if yeah, they, I think so. Still go John T. Yeah, still John T. Yeah, right. He was he, he was the benchmark, wasn't he? Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I mean, there's I went John T. because I haven't watched as much cricket these days as what I used to do back in that day. So I wondered like if if a modern day player would, because I would think fielders are better now. But he was standout in our. In our generation, apart from Mark, of course. Apart from Mark Rampercash, <laughs> obviously. He taught, he taught John Rhodes everything he, everything he knows. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, I can't this. But the thing is, though, mate, is that these days, I think pretty much all players can field pretty well, can't they? Like, yeah, that's true. Back in, like, like when you were at your, your pump, there was probably like... There was only there was only Mark that could field back. Yeah, the everyone else <laughs> everyone else was using their boots only to friends. stop the ball, wasn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, mate. Oh, you're making it sound like I played in the black and white TV days. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. And, it's uh, because, because I was like sledging your selection, you decided to have a go back. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to change the questions to much harder ones. No. Um, Who's the last two questions then? Uh, best all rounder of all time, uh, Kieran, you go first. Gary Sobers. Yes, that's he's easy. still in my place. He's still in my, he's still in my place. <laughs> Sorry, Mark, Mark Rampakash is still on the table. Start, I'm going to start calling him Kieran the Granny. Like, <laughs> <Kieran> <laughs> the granny. <laughs> or Mark Rampakash, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> best all rounder, yeah. Check. <laughs> um, yeah, who got that uh, for best all rounder of all time? Oh, it's got to be Gary Sobers. Actually, um, 
Jack Callis, I know he's. I mean, I, I was Gary Sobers, and there's no one better. But I mean, if we're gonna have an honourable mention, um, you know, Jack Callis is um, probably the guy who, the opposite to Gary, who was like all flamboyant and yeah, didn't slide under the radar. Um, Jack probably didn't quite get the accolades which he was due, and he'd probably be the. This, uh, he'd be, uh, he's got a case to argue he's the best, but uh, yeah. I, I think that um, Sir Gary's the. There's only one Sir, isn't it? That's an all Oh no, Botham's now Sir too. So, yeah. but uh, he's actually Gary. he's, he's Botham's become a lord now, hasn't he? I know. That's lord unbelievable. <laughs> And apparently, they, apparently, Ramps is going to become a yeah. Lord, he's Lord next. Lord. He's going to be a prince. <laughs> he, um... <laughs> I'd have Jack Callis because uh, I Glamorgan Cardiff boy, you know. So I, I'd go Jack Callis with a bit of bit of bias. Well, I say Jack Callis would be a close close second behind uh, Mark Rampercrash. Um Okay. <laughs> So after I've given Mark Rampercash all this praise, Adam, you've got to get him to come on my on the podcast for us now. I'll get him on it. I'll, I'll get him on it, and even he'll say you like. That's, that's, that's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. I'm completely thrown now. Right, Adam, I thank you for your time. Mark. Yeah, that's it. No, I appreciate uh, appreciate your time, mate. Thank you very much. And uh, Kieran, as always, no thank you, my friend. Uh, guys, subscribe youtube.com slash ace podcast nation. Follow at state of play underscore on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, look out for some clips of the various shows. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a, an all new guest, and, uh, but which we'll, we'll announce for sometime in the next week or so. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks for watching. Cheers, guys. And uh, we'll see you next episode. That's my Podcast Network.